And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has other great podcasts like Marketing Made Simple, hosted by Dr. J.J. Peterson. Marketing Made Simple brings you practical tips to make your marketing easy and more importantly, make it work. Now, if any of these topics sound interesting to you, you're going to love his show. How to write and deliver captivating speeches, how to market yourself into a new job, how design can help and potentially hurt your revenue, and how to create a social media ad strategy that works. If these topics hit home and they're things that you want to learn about, go listen to Marketing Made Simple wherever you get your podcasts. Today, you're going to hear an episode of my new podcast, Liquidity and Liquor. I co-host Liquidity and Liquor with Yosef Martin, a serial entrepreneur who sold his last company, BoxyCharm, for over $500 million. On Liquidity and Liquor, we have conversations about business, money, and life with some of the most interesting people in the world. You can download and subscribe to Liquidity and Liquor on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so we're going to do this podcast uh, episode a little bit different. We're going to go deep between uh, Scott and myself. We're going to ask, we have opinions, and uh, mostly we talk to people, and we want you to meet other people, but sometimes it's good to kind of catch up, take a breather, and talk about the episodes we had, a couple of things that changed, and uh, ask each other questions. So I have some really cool questions. You know why I like these? You know why I want to do more of these? It's because every time we're sitting just like, hanging out we actually have really smart conversations that yeah capture, yeah yeah which is actually frustrating because then i'm like damn it i wish it was the camera, camera changes you the camera once you have the camera feel you feel like, like you have you to think within your cortex nothing comes intuitive it's just different i'm not the same person it, it takes me a minute actually until i get actually, that i think that's why actually it, like listen you can drink or you can not drink but i think that the drinking gets rid of like all the inhibitions do you have anything over here yeah um, all right okay so let's do bourbon Bourbon, let's do. Who are the editors, by the way? He's <laughs> <laughs> my boy, Ali. He's, right. he's good. <laughs> he's very good. Right, cool. More? No, it's fine. It's residues of it, whatever. Okay. Whatever. It's the what? stomach juices are going to burn. We'll buy some more. Yeah, we definitely need to buy. I have more. I just, I don't know why I bought this one. That was the only one. The other one is all full, and I just grabbed the one. Yeah, that's fine. All right. All right. Okay. Okay. Now I'm happy. I don't see this being that much worse than tequila. But when you took tequila last time, you died. Oh my god, tequila is disgusting. Why? 
I don't know. This like taste, the aftertaste goes, hits my... I feel like I'm going to throw up every time I get tequila. Yeah. So you don't do tequila shots? Oh, I mean, I, I'll do it once I'm... I do it. When that's the only thing tequila. around. Talk and about tequila like it's like a hardcore drug. I do it. I do it. I suffer. I don't like it. Like, okay, so here's a story for you. We went to Mexico. I took uh, with another brand, um, uh, Pure Cosmetics and Baxicham. We took in 2018 a lot of influencers to Mexico. It was in uh, Punta Mita, mm-hmm. Punta de Mita. I don't even know where that is. It's a nice resort. You know, honestly, we saw it because the Kardashians were there and we we're like, yeah, let's do it over there too. And we, the Four Seasons, you know, we, we had some relationship with them. And anyway, it was awesome. Like the, the crew of influencers, we bought they were all awesome. And, and my team, uh, Pure, the, the team was great. Now, I kind of like promised myself I'm not doing any alcohol because I don't really drink much. And when I do, it takes a little bit to get me off balance. And I figure I'm going to be serious. Crowd control over here. So... I'm going to be the adult in the room. So anyway, I was sitting down, all of them, all the, it was a plus one. So all the girls were in the pool and there were some gay guys too, they're all in the pool. And most of the guys were, we were just hanging out. So it's all the, the husbands, the boyfriends, you know, were just sitting. It was awesome. And I don't remember how, and they came to me with tequila shots. I'm like, I don't do tequila. I'm still sober at that point. This is Yosef sober, Yosef, right? Oh, no, I don't do that. Anyway, you can't say no to them and they're very persistent because they're already after a couple shots of course yeah then they're peer pressuring you and they're using those champagne glasses for tequila shots yeah but they're well, you they're filling them like more than half yeah it's, a big it's like so then i took one and then another it's one it's like a glass it's a couple shots a few of them and then after three or four i was already in the pool and after that i got on the bar and there were more shots and i remember this one of the influencers uh she was t- coming to me, she's like, uh, do you know Don Julio 1942? Oh now, I didn't know. She's like, what's that? And she was mad that I didn't know. Anyway, she's like, the best motherfucking tequila. Anyway, I got two more and I was. So then I told her, that's it. I can't, I can't. I was barely sitting down and, and a couple other girls were like, don't take any more. So I was sitting down trying to be all sober. And I remember I spoke to one of them. I think it was Jacqueline and we were talking about business thing and i didn't want to talk business at that point because i didn't know what i really look like because you think you're okay because you're just trying to focus yeah and i told all of them listen after dinner after party in my room now you have to understand my room was huge it was a huge it was a suite with a, a, a pool and all that stuff infinity pool overlooking the thing so then my team and and pure cosmetics heard me talking about this in the pool already drunk and um they said, okay, we're going to have to prepare. So they put a bunch of merch, staff pillows with the names of the brands. They already prepared all that. I don't even remember what they said. So then I was talking to Jackie. I'm like, Jackie, I'm sorry. Um, I got to go to the room. So it was like 3 p.m. I went to sleep. I woke up at 1 a.m. I, w- I woke up completely like that. And I saw a bunch of messages. They were knocking on my door. All of them came in thinking there was a party. There was no party. I was crushed. I was... Oh, my God. That's <laughs> yeah. so funny. I was crushed. And I was so mad at myself. How am I get? Uh, but it was it was awesome because you, you they get to relate to you more because you just... You stop all that bor- yeah, barrier yeah. that you put. Okay, let's do it. I just... I'm not used to... And the thing is, they have parties all the time. They drink like sailors. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Small, like petite girls they will drink more than three of us together because they're used to drink so i i just see so i'm not going to compete with him the toughest part about it it's not a tough part but i mean the part that taxes you the most on networking and going on alcohol. Parties, alcohol 
Yeah. Like I, I talk to friends that are down in Miami, and I'm actually happy that I'm in Fort Lauderdale because I'm very picky about which events I go to. But I have friends that are in Miami, and like it's a problem because you can drink every single night mm. easily. And then drinking at a networking event. I went to one networking event um, that was put on by a great organization. It's called like the Hedge Fund Association, and they rented out three yachts. Mm. And they and you could basically just go between yacht to yacht, and every yacht had different food and liquor. And That's great. awesome. It was right in Miami. Um, How do you do it? Like, do you swim to the other yard? Like, you're in the middle of the ocean? No, they had a no? room. Oh, okay. So nice. Okay. But, um, uh, but one of the guys got, like, shit-faced. He got absolutely shit-faced. And then you make an asset of yourself. Yeah. But the point is, it's just free liquor. Everything's open bar. Everything's free liquor. So you got to watch yourself. And especially if you do that every single night. So not only is it going to be bad on your body, it's going to be, like, you're going to put on weight. It's for sure it's a, a lot of a lot of negatives in drinking all the time. So you got to be careful when you network a lot. My my weakness is is sweets. I, I just never like alcohol because it tastes bitter, uh, and I don't like the taste of it. So I'm the opposite. So I don't like sweet stuff. Oh, you're so lucky. So I like pizza. I like burgers. Okay. I like nachos. I actually the only sweet stuff that I like is like a, it's like a get to know you. Yeah. <laughs> so the only sweet stuff that I like is chocolate. Oh, okay. So I don't like candy. I don't like really? caramel, like anything like sugar. You don't like caramel? No. If you it's tell me a last wish before a, we kill you, I just give me all the caramel you get. Or it's like, no, it's like a psychological yeah. thing. Some people are like wired for like salty and savory, and some people are wired for sweet. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I have a lot of weaknesses, I guess, because I do like salty. I like cheese, and I no, love sweet. You know that the, there's a chemical reaction in cheese when you eat it that's akin to like, it's some sort of drug. It's like a, a huh. reaction to like crack or something like that. Like the wasn't that in sugar? It could have been. Too. Yeah, no, I think you're you're confused no, with sugar. Cheese does it too? Really? Cheese does it too. Oh my god. Okay. You know what we need? We, we need, need to Jamie. Check. We need we need Jamie like Joe Rogan. Joe. We need it. Jamie, Jamie can you tell us exactly what's going on? <laughs> yeah. No, I have I have. So I just don't like alcohol. So I'll sit down and I mean. That's interesting. You it don't was, like it because it's. Nice. I don't like the taste. I don't I don't like it. And I look. The thing is. If once I need to get to a certain point where I'm drunk enough to not care about the taste, yeah. um, and I'm not gonna get, I don't need too much to actually feel. So when I feel like I'm, I'm already tipsy, I, I just shut myself down. I go away. I, I don't want to be with. But it's hard. Like I can count on, like one hand, how many times it happened to me since I was alive. But when you got too drunk. Yeah, because it's just. Oh, I don't have enough hands to count how many. Yeah. Times. Gosh, I, I just it's hard for me to even get to that point because I don't like the the alcohol test we we had right, yeah. so we had an, everything everything I'll tell you with alcohol was with influencer events that we took them out yeah. right because when there is an event that I'm invited to no one pushes anything down my throat when I'm with with influencers there's always that that pre pressure and you're like yeah fuck it let's get another one yeah. you know we did this thing in Coachella we in before COVID in 2019. We brought a bunch of them, and it was awesome. It was great. I mean, we became friends. All of us became friends because of that for life. It's not yeah, just, yeah. you know, but um, we had a, uh, a, a bus, and uh, there was just alcohol that they were serving us. And I told the guy, when you give the shots to me, give me water. So I would literally take the shot, and I would be like, ah, and there was nothing. It was just water. And they, some of, one of them noticed that, like, no, 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 I saw you. And it was like, <laughs> I think his name is Sis. It was like, no, drink it like this. So I had to. And that's when I get. But other than that, like, I don't, I don't really. But, I mean, at least, you know, the one thing when, like, it's not like drinking is good. But the one thing that I do appreciate is when people's inhibitions are, are reduced. Like, you mm. get to see what kind of real person they are. That's true. So they can't put on a facade. They can't. Yeah. I mean, like, half the reason why I like podcasts is because when you talk to somebody for two hours, there's less of a chance of them bullshitting you than if you talk to them for, you know. Who's the, who's the guy that we, we were drinking and 
you know, we were laughing and I had to st- stop myself from laughing because we, we had a little bit extra shots. I think, you remember who it was? Um, I don't know. It don't wasn't know. with Zeke. It was, it was no, some... No, Zeke, 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 Zeke doesn't, doesn't drink, but yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. We were... I don't remember. Okay, so you don't know, but I was trying to stop myself from laughing. Why? The whole... Because I, I, I had maybe two shots and, and that's all it takes. Did it was, you say something funny? You know, nothing funny. Oh. I was just trying not to, I was like smiling like this and one of the podcasts, I don't remember which one. Oh, what back uh, Yeah, but I was asking smart questions. I was able to, yeah. Well, that's actually, you know, it's funny because when I drink more, I'm like, it's, all, when I'm sober, I'm already a nerd. I always, like, I already like talking about business yeah. and whatnot, but when I drink more, like, I like talking about it more yeah but for sure you're not even making smart points anymore you think you're so smart <laughs> <laughs> you're saying the dumbest shit <laughs> yes you increase your sales force you increase your sales wow yeah, like, i found like, out you yeah feel like you're like like god's gift to business and you like, <laughs> think you're awesome <laughs> and you feel like you know well at least yeah. our camera's recording on, uh, you know the you know the um <laughs> we're drinking i was i was talking today to uh to a friend and uh, i was telling her that um we're talking business, uh, kind of like in general. And I, t- I said, "Do you have any hobbies?" I told her before I had my first company, like twenty years ago, I had a bunch of hobbies. And you know, as soon as I started the first business, it was so exciting for me. I, I mean, my hobbies were dancing, salsa, cooking, MMA. Right? Stopped all of that. Everything, even the gym. Just recently, I'm, I'm doing it more because I, have a little, I need a reset. But I don't have, so now I go and I remember I used to love going to the beach, used to love going outside, and now I'm not. Like it's completely transforming. I think, I think that's actually why you've been successful. I think it's because you have an obsession with something. Yeah. And I think that people who have never had an obsession with something have a hard time understanding that. So people always ask me, people ask me a lot. Like people will, random people will DM me that will say stuff like, oh, I love your content, but like, do you do anything outside of, of this? Like, you know, do you have any other passions? Like, and it's hard because ultimately I love what I do and people don't understand. This is your hobby. Why would people love yeah. writing a newsletter at one in the morning? <laughs> or why would people love like chopping up and finding the perfect clip and see if it goes viral or not? Do you feel it, it affects your relationship with Gina? No. And no. that's why I think that we're still together mm. because I don't think anybody can date somebody who's trying to build something. Interesting. I think that Interesting. I think that if you don't set the expectation with the spouse first, I think it's selfish. Mm-hmm. And if you say I'm going to be an entrepreneur, I'm going to build a company. And yeah, but what if you change in the middle? I think I think that you didn't you know, know it's going to happen. Well, that's to you. why I think there has to be more education about what entrepreneurship really is. Yeah, but you didn't know that, right? Let's just say. But my... that's why I think a lot of relationships fail. Yeah. Like I don't think it, I don't think there's a nice way to say it. A lot of relationships fail when you have somebody who is. A C-suite and a certain size company. But it's also because your your girlfriend uh, has her own business, so yes, she can she understand that. Yeah, yeah. So she has her thing. She understands your thing, and that's where it makes sense. Where you focus on but what you do. I think that you have to have your. I think you're right. Like, what happens if you want to build something when you're in a relationship? Um, if you don't, if you don't know what you're getting yourself into, well, first of all, it's going to not only affect your relationship, but most entrepreneurs end up being depressed and burnt out, anyways. Do you feel? Do you feel like you're? I mean, I think most do. Yeah, I really do believe most do. I think there's a whole discussion about mental health and entrepreneurship that nobody really has. Because I ran, so I ran Boxy after I ran another company for, I want to say, 15 years to do some part. You never had the option of like you never had the option. You had the option, but you never worked in the company, so you never made you never made two hundred thousand dollars nine to five. No. 
So your your perspective of life is entrepreneurship. So what if somebody is two hundred thousand dollars nine to five? Then they have, and then you didn't have mortgage, you didn't have kids when you started. So then they have mortgage, they have kids, they have bills to pay. No, but I had I had uh, out of state tuition, and, I, and when I started, I was a full time student. I had to pay about thirty thousand a year or so yeah, um, for school. So I guess it it's it's a obligation. I really grew after I graduated because I had the first year that I didn't have to do anything. Like I, I was able to just look for a job. So I kept working yeah. and then eventually I got married. So I, I didn't have to go back to school. Then I had mortgage, then I had kids, then I had all those stuff. But the the thing is where for me, I think it did affect the relationship because when Patty met me, we I had a, a different business. So yeah, I was thinking about the business all the time, but it wasn't like running BoxyCharm. And at one point I had both companies. And I mean, when I tell you BoxyCharm is a scary business because you can in one day find out that you lose everything for one tiny mistake. Just literally you go and you send all the boxes. And when you send an Excel sheet. Adding a line in an Excel sheet. Yes. Everything. I think I mentioned that, right? And one one point is like, I lose everything I ever made and I'm going to be in debt. Just one. And that didn't happen. We thought it happened, but we thought. So it was just uh, losing everything and having to reimburse it. so it was very stressful, right? And she was with me. But that's just to show you that you're always on edge because you always think, that you understand that you, you can't let your guards down and it's underlying stress. You, you're doing it for so many years. You you don't just go to sleep okay. And pff, vacations? Yeah. I mean, I can relax in the vacation. So it really changes you. So then you come out from the other side, you sell the business. I, I, I never take vacation. I, I can't. I, I go places. I've gone to places, but I don't. I'm not. When I was working in a company and I took a vacation, no one's emailing me. I'm not responding to anybody. When I'm building a business, there's I check my email four times a day. It's not healthy, but it's like you're obsessed with it. You can't stop. You can't stop. Because you have something, you understand that if you move aside, you feel like things are going to happen. so much risk into it. That's yeah. the reason why you win. You put risk in, that's the reason why entrepreneurs win. Why, why are you stressed out? Because literally everything is on you. Yeah. And when everything's on you, you don't take a vacation. Because if you take a vacation, I mean... Hopefully, you have the team to support you, but ultimately, like you still want to be clocked in. Yeah, it's just like it's a psychological thing. It takes years to get away from that. Like I, I was sitting with Richard Jons Fashionova. I was sitting in his house, and one time we were talking, and he he only started, I guess, enjoying his life like a year or so before COVID. He was really dedicated, laser focused, no vacation, nothing, right? He's, he's Single, like all yeah. like, that, and just monster. So then. One time he decided, fuck it, let's go on a cruise and whatever, and they, they rented this mega and, and then he goes back and he said, you know, things move on. Like, the company's okay. And you said, yeah, you find some inefficiencies here and there and mistakes and you fix it, but you said, if a forest falls in the middle of the, if, if a tree falls in the middle of a forest, does it matter? Like, what do, so then do I need to enjoy my life now? It's kind of like a struggle for him and many others. Like, do I go in that side or that side? Do I, what do I do? Do I just, just fuck it. The business is big enough to carry mistakes. Let's go and enjoy or no, no, no. I need to think growth. I need to build myself. So, and I feel like it's so rewarding when you're doing stuff like this, when you're building stuff, it's just a challenge because you're not going to be the same. You can't just sit down. I mean, for, for guys like me, Maybe like you too. I can't just sit, sit in the beach. I can't. No, I don't. I can't sit down. I have to move around. I don't enjoy it. Yeah. And maybe it's because maybe it's because I've been conditioned to to build too long. Too long. But that's fine. I mean, every day we're conditioned to like new things and to and to accept uh, new lenses that we look at life through into our life. Like you look at Alex Ramosi. 
Alex Ramosi always talks about why do I need to have hobbies if I enjoy what I do? Exactly. And for somebody who doesn't enjoy it, they're like, oh, that guy's, you know, that guy's fucked up. It doesn't make any sense. Why would he say that? It's his life. He yeah. enjoys it. If, if you want to paint, if you want to go to the gym, if you want to build a business, if you enjoy the... It's challenging when you're with a partner that doesn't get to that, right? It's his like, partner's Layla Hermosi and she's well, also the yeah. exact same. So for me, for me, it wasn't. Yeah, for me, it wasn't like yeah. that because with, with Patty, she was like, you need work-life balance. It was the whole time. And I, I know she, she got it, but I was just not the same man she married because when I started boxing, everything changed. Before that, we would do a little bit more stuff. But then Boxy came and oh boy, like that's it. And then uh, we did the first sell sell for Boxy. I sold a piece of it in uh, 2016. And she thought, I'm going to be more in a house because now we cashed out at the time. It looked pretty big. And it was like, oh, now you. But then instead, I doubled down. I got more obsessed because, you know, in your mind, you're like, you're thinking, well, those people trusted me. They gave me that kind of money. And I, 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 fuck, I can't fuck it up. It's just, yeah. that's true. <laughs> so it was even worse. So, yeah. And then by the time we sold the company, we were already not together. So there's that, that sad part that it doesn't work for everybody. So, okay, this is an interesting point. So we were writing down questions and, and you had a, a couple questions for me that I thought were good. And, and I think that actually I want to, I want to bring up one of the questions mm -hmm. because I think it's going to create a good conversation. So one of the questions that we're brainstorming is, does your life change after an exit event? And you asked me this yeah. previously. And I said, I said, no, it, it doesn't. And it's because the cash out that I got from that wasn't big enough mm -hmm. for me, for my life to change. Like I, I didn't have to jump in right away, but at some point in the future, I would have had to have done something. Um, so I'm curious when, and, and my life didn't really change. Mm -hmm. Realistically, like I, I was making good money in the role my burn rate per month maybe went up a little bit, but that's not really... You're still lean, mean, fighting machine. Yeah, like yeah. I don't think I spend that much more. I think the majority of my spend uh, for my last company, I was mostly in Toronto. Rent was a little bit cheaper. You add a couple thousand bucks in rent when you move down to Florida. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that that's a little bit... I mean, the average dinner in Miami is a little bit more expensive. Yeah. So, and also the American dollar versus the Canadian. That's a, but it's not like life changes that much. So I was curious... In your opinion, what's the amount of money that you have to make for your life to considerably change? Because in, in theory, you could never work again. Yeah. So, but do you think that it's like 10 million, 50 million, um, 100 million? Like, what's the amount that you have to make so that... Every person is different, right? I live different than others. I, I have a nice house, but... But I don't really buy stuff. I don't care about. You don't buy a lot of stuff. I don't care about a lot, anything, right? Because uh, I don't know. I just the way I am, right? I find that yeah. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's it. The last drop. I'm. I'm. Uh, that's uh, generous. So <laughs> yeah, I don't really need much. Uh, I do like experiences. So if I travel, I need to get first class, or I'll get a, a jet here and there. But but it's not that I do it very often because I like to stay home. So you do you do private. Um, Once you, in a blue moon, but you mostly fly first. Fly, fly first with friends. I'll do private because I'm, I'm not going to do it by myself. It's yeah. kind of weird. I'm not um, like if we'll, we'll jump together and it's going to yeah. be fun. But yeah. um, but even then, like I found myself. I'll give you a story. I, I in 2021, I went to Mykonos because my friend told me get a car. I'll change your life. Mykonos, Mykonos. I said cool, let's go. So I went. We went group of friends, right? And the first two nights, three nights, I think uh, I had to. I had to let myself go. I mean, that's it. I sold. I don't have anything to worry about. That's it. Enjoy, right? We're going to all those restaurants and and clubs and 
and all of this. And I just I couldn't connect the first two nights. Third night, I was already enjoying it. And then I remember I was speak, uh, just one of the morning parties. Someone was <laughs> morning parties. Like someone was talking <laughs> to me well. over there. It's like really <laughs> successful people over there. But, you know, it's a different vibe. And one of them told me what he does. And we we're talking and we start getting into a conversation. And it was kind of loud. And I told him, you want to tell me more? And it was interesting what he told me. And he gave me a couple ideas. One of them was really exciting. And I remember I wanted to get the fuck out of there. It was just a distraction for me. I wanted to go and try what he was talking about. And I said to myself, this is, this is my hobby. So then I figured a podcast is a thing. I'll sit down with smart people. I'll do it in my house. I'll get smarter. I can't expect everyone to change my perspective on, on some topics, but fuck, man, this is awesome. That's what I enjoyed. If there's one single event that I had was one point of intellect yeah. between all this alcohol and, and parties. It was fun, but, but it, was, it was that. Um, so, so that my life ended up changing. Uh, well, you a, have freedom. Yeah, my freedom, yes. But you know what changed in my life? The 18 years that I was running companies, there was always an underlying stress that you don't know that you have it unless you get, out, get away from this for a while. And, and then I got divorced. Mm-hmm. So you get divorced. So you get the freedom. You buy this house. You live alone, not too far from your kids. You get to see them every week. But in the days you don't have the kids, you don't have to worry about managing hundreds of people and having all this underlying stress. And you can do whatever the fuck you want. And if you do a podcast, it's for fun. Mm -hmm. And this is where your life changed. So it's not because I can go and get a jet and a crew and a boat and a crew. And it's not that. It's not that. It's because I don't care for any of those. I care about the fact that here, close to my house, close to my, my town, I have the ability to go and wake up in the morning without knowing that like it's a doomsday today. Yeah. Some problem happened and a class action on the business and just you don't have that stress. That is a big thing for me. And, you know, being single again, it changes you. So you have too many elements that happen to me at the same time that... Um, I think there was, um, so, oh my God, I, I'm going to blank on his name, um, uh, uh, Chamath, uh, and I can't pronounce his last name. Oh, yes. Uh, I know which one. So he was on Lex Friedman's yes. podcast, and Lex actually asked him how much money it takes to be happy. And I think, well, I'm going to try and look it I up. I think he said 50 million. I think he said 50 million. Yes. 50 million, because there's, no, there's nothing you can really buy after 50 million. But 50 million is enough to not work yeah. for the rest of your life. That's true. You don't need more than that for now. <laughs> no, it all depends, right? With what inflation, happens. maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I don't think. Now. I don't think. I don't think ten millions. I feel. I feel I it's think... obviously less than that. It doesn't have to be fifty. No, million. No, but you got to think. Like, okay, so fine. Yes, twenty million starting to be. Yes, I don't think ten million for most it's people enough. is enough. No, so not enough. Twenty yeah. to thirty million is probably enough if you invest wisely. To not work, so you could. Invest. I feel he meant fifty million without even investing it. I feel the point is, if you're saying no, well, you don't have. So if you if you don't even invest the, bank, the fifty million, you're not even going to think about your burn rate. Yeah, you're gonna have you're gonna spend fifty thousand dollars a month, and you're gonna blow money on stupid vacations. Yeah. and I don't know how many months. <laughs> let's do the math. What's if what's, you have fifty? If you have a twelve months out of the year, yeah, and you're at the age of forty, and let's just say you're very lucky and fortunate to live another sixty years. Yeah, which is probably not going to happen. But so that's that's six hundred thousand dollars a year just in in life. Yeah, and then you say times 
times four. Well, that's 25 million if you times 40 years. That's what I say. That's you don't need bad. more than. Yeah, I mean, you'll still be okay. I mean, look, in 50 years from now, in 50, 50 in 40 years from now, 600 is not enough. So you have to have some interest compound on this on top because, of that. Yeah. So the $50,000 a month, I mean, even if you think about, okay, so for the average person, that's way more than they spend. Yeah. But if, if you were running a company that allowed you to make 50 million after the acquisition or the sale, your expenses are probably high property tax, uh, probably private school for your kids. You but you got to be completely foolish. This screws over athletes invest. all the time. No, 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 not athletes. 100%. But you got to be completely foolish to do it, right? You have to say, all right, if I want to go and buy a property, why don't I buy a couple other properties that I can rent to pay for that property? And that's it. I can park my money and lend. Yeah. And that's all I have to do. And in, in time, it can pay itself off. You can even put it in, in, in a real estate investment trust or something, or some REITs. Yeah. And then you're fine. As long, because it's going to pay for... Right now, I mean, interest rate is high because of the conditions in the market, right? But but you say to yourself, like, you're not supposed to actually use that money. I think what he meant was 50 million is for you either to live a little bit more lavish or to not even invest that money and to run through that cash. I'm not, I didn't do the math that he did, but I think it can be with less. Not everybody has to buy the same houses. But if an average house goes for, say, 800,000, because you did get 50 million, a million dollar, whatever yeah. it is, you, and you said, I'm not going to work anymore, the interest in the United States is going to be 1.8% a year. Right. So for a million, it's 18,000 a year. Right. And then you do homestead on yeah. it. I mean, it's not that hard. You, you take yourself $10 million, you put it in REITs, you get about 14% return and about 5% is going to be in rent collected. And you put that 400,000 buck into your pocket. You're living good. You're fine. Yeah. yeah. You never, that money is enough for you to live a lifetime. Right. So I, I felt like it's, it's without investing. You think so? I think so, if you know how to manage your money. Look, what do you do after you cash out? And I think we're going to have uh, one of my friends come in one of our podcasts, and this is our conversation. It's my neighbor, one of the most beautiful homes in Miami. He exited in 2016. His name is Brad. And uh, he saw me walking down the street and uh, doing something, uh, was, and he saw the construction I have. He said, welcome to the life of a homeowner because I have that leak over there. And I told him, yeah, I've been having homes for a while. I've been having issues with every home I had. And we're talking about that. And, and, um, and we both run into the same problem. You have the cash that you have. And then you have your, your uh, checking account. And eventually, if you don't manage your money right, you run out of money in the checking account because you don't have an operating business. Yeah. So you have to go back to the main account. And you don't mentally want to ever touch it. That's for those who cash out. Now, even if you appreciated that money, more than the money that you had in the checking account. Mentally, you don't want to touch it. It's fighting yeah. inflation, whatever it is, right? And you said, well, we need some kind of operating account to start creating new. And we both ran into the same scenarios. Like, this is our problem. When you have a company, you know how to make money. You don't know how to park your money. Yeah. And after you exit, all you can do is park your money wise, but you don't have that. You're in a different habitat. This is not your natural habitat. So now... We're figuring out, like, I mean, two years into it, you're doing much better, obviously, than before. But, I mean, you're going straight into a bear market. Did you, and do you park a lot of your money, then loan against those assets? I uh, I have not done this yet because um, till now, so I don't have any loans or anything like that. What, because uh, I think that's a way to do it. A hundred percent. I'm I'm definitely going to do yeah. it now when it comes down to real estate, even though interest rate is, is high. Um, there are some portfolios that we're buying that are going to be 
uh, about 25% return. It's, uh, and then, okay, so I'll take six, just... 6%. No, no, oh. REITs would never give you that. Yeah, no, so this, you're, would just never buying, you're just buying. Yeah, okay. you buy homes that, uh, so, so you, we found that we have quite a few portfolios and obviously managing everything, but uh, that's worth it because then you don't manage your money. And when you do the math, it makes no sense to use your money. So you can get yourself quite a few units and you never have to work. All the money is going to be, Grant Cardone was saying it better than me. He was saying just you can buy stupid shit with passive income, and he goes around showing his cars and watches like yeah. buy stupid shit with passive income, <laughs> like one of those things. Like that's that's where you, you that's where you don't need fifty million. Um, I want to okay, so I want to I want to go into something that's happening um, to me on LinkedIn right now, and I want to talk about uh, a post that I did. Okay. Because it's really relevant. And actually, you gave me inspiration for this post. And then it went I'm by. a very inspiring person. You are I'm a very inspiring person. So basically, this was, this was the, it was about uh, the square root of people oh, yeah. doing most of the work. By the way, I picked it up from someone else. So, but give me the credit. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. So I, I, I found out, I found out who did. I found out who the original guy was. Yeah. I'm going to read the post. And then, and then it went, and when I say viral, it has currently, as of, what's the date today? The 21st? Yeah, at like four in the afternoon. It's like 11,000 11, likes, 895 comments, 566 reposts, yeah. 2,024,000 impressions. By the way, so LinkedIn has 2% of the users in LinkedIn yeah. post content. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking with what Eric told us. Uh, yeah. Eric. Uh, so so, so he, he said 2% of the people on LinkedIn post content versus Instagram, which is 87% of the people. So if you want to go viral, it's much likely to go in LinkedIn versus... So I'm, I, now I'm repurposing all my Twitter stuff all onto LinkedIn because yeah. it's, it's wild the reach yeah. you get. So I'll read the post because I did some research into this principle and then I'm going to... And then a, a guy added some more context, which is really good, but it's very polarizing. Okay, so I said, when Elon bought Twitter, they had 7,500 employees. He fired 50% of their workforce. Another 1,200 left after he told them he was going to make Twitter, quote, extremely hardcore. Uh, that means that less than 2,900 remain. So how can 2,900 do the same job as 7,500? So the law was originally called Price's Law. So it was Derek Price, a British physicist, historian, and scientist. He discovered something interesting about his peers. There was always a handful of people who dominated the publications within a certain subject. Being a scientist, he investigated. He found out the following. 50% of the work is done by the square root of the total number of people who participate in the work. Mm -hmm. He tested it across different groups, different audiences. It almost uni always universally applied, especially in business. So the square root of the number of people in a company do 50% of the work. In a company of 10 employees, three of them do 50% of the work. Remaining 50% is done by the other seven people. Uh, this scales. So competence grows linearly. Incompetence grows exponentially. 10 employees, three of them do 50% of the work. 100 employees, 10 of them do 50% of the work, the other 90 do the other 50%. 10,000 employees, 100% of them do 50% of the work, the other 9,900 do the other 50%. So the survival of any business requires the execs to figure out who the most competent people are in the organization and keep them happy, keep them around. And this is prices lost. So I said, Elon just has to hope that the right people are still in Twitter. And now, why is it polarizing? People find that it's, so I think it's polarizing for a few reasons. I'm going to add this guy's context because it's important. Yes. And then I'll, then we'll discuss why it's polarizing. Yeah. But this isn't, this isn't a normal LinkedIn post. That's yes. a lot of impressions for a LinkedIn post. So this guy, Frederick, uh, he also. By the way, one yeah. thing you can tell the difference between uh, audience, everything is just 
a, a long chain of information that Incredibly you wrote it down. Brilliant. That means people, no, people yeah. read on LinkedIn, people yes. view on Instagram. Yeah. That is the main difference. You won't be able to get that writing it on Instagram. That would be only on, on Facebook yeah. or on uh, LinkedIn. And Facebook has no organic reach. Not really. Well... No, it not does like not. before. It's but not, yeah. not like before. I mean, yeah. if you're going to try and go viral on Facebook, Maybe especially in North then. America, yeah, Facebook and other parts of the world is actually still pretty popular. But I don't think it's as, I don't think it's as popular in North America. No, not anymore. Um, okay, so a couple things. So Price's law applies, but it assumes the nature of the work is without specialties. Meaning, if A, B, and C all the way to Z are all workers, then they can do the work of each other, and then no division of labor or work delegation. So what are the exceptions? So football has divisions and duties. A goalkeeper cannot become a midfielder, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, an IT team, there is a division of work, front end, back end, database, full stack, platform. Um, so special situations and how to go about applying prices law in a very large team. So for an IT team, for example, although IT teams seem like an exception in a very large IT team, like in the case of Twitter with careful cutoffs and layoffs, you can achieve prices law. You will only apply prices law to various subunits. So you apply it to the front end team, you apply it to mm -hmm. the back end. So no, he's, he's saying, no, you cannot just get rid of all the, the UX designers or UX developers. Yeah, you have to you have to do it per team. You have to do and it per, I, yeah, team, yeah, per but team, but still across the teams, the law applies. Now, how do you know? Because he fired half of the people. How do you find the most impactful ones? So this was another you know? a follow up to this. A follow up to this was how do you find the most impactful teams? You focus on employees that, first of all, think like entrepreneurs, and you focus on X-shaped or multi-shaped employees, people that can manage their core task, but also have experience in other tasks as mm. well. So that's one. As that means that they won't be perfect, but they can lend helping hands to other departments. Yes. So if somebody doesn't have experience working with developer teams in particular, because this is what a lot of people were complaining about, like, no, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't sense. work just in silo, it has one more. But I, I in my past company, I had uh, like a full stack developer, but he focused on the front end because he had a gift for creative and aesthetics, but he could totally do database and back end work if he needed to. So yes, he is on a, he's on a, so him as an employee is useful because his job mandate is to do the front end and the UI and the UX design. But ultimately, if for example, somebody was laid off, he could instruct someone else on how to do backend, or he could take that up himself yeah. or herself. Now I'm not saying that you wanna build an organization where you fire people, then push extra work onto the people that uh, are good at story, it, yeah. because that's a different story. That's not yeah. keeping them happy and they're gonna burn out and they're gonna leave right what away. What else is it over there? There's a lot, there's 900 comments. No, no, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I think. But it's, I wanna know why it's polarizing. And you ask, why would you think it's polarizing? I, I mean, polarizing. I, I get the point of people getting go, but why do you think? It's I think it's polarizing because people feel as though people feel as though every person in an organization contributes at their hundred percent capacity. It's a nice thought. It's a nice thought that everybody tries really, really yeah, it's hard. It's simply not true. But it's not true. It's not true, unfortunately. I, I read another post. Does, about does every this. basketball player contribute the same when you play basketball? Can everyone contribute the same like LeBron James or Michael Jordan? And uh, I mean, you can see it anywhere you go in life. Why is it when it applies to sport? It's okay, but when it applies to business, it's not okay. Why is it that we understand that LeBron is more gifted than the rest of the team that he has, right? Without LeBron, there is no victory, right? Why? People don't like being told that they're actually replaceable. Exactly. That is, that is why it's polar. It, no one's going to say that in the thread. 
but the underlying psychology is nobody likes to think that they're replaceable. It's, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a demoralizing concept. You know what uh, Naval said about that? He said uh, a group would never admit they're mistaken. Mm -hmm. They would they would separate the group. You cannot. They would never admit that there's. You, I can go and tell you as an individual, you did a mistake and you'll agree. But if I tell you that group is wrong, so if if I go and I say, well, if you look at this as a collective, you would say no, it's not. But if you're an individual contributor, that you understand ultimately that you're the one that come up with all the solutions and all that, but. You don't know how to kind of like climb the ladder, and that's what happened to the best engineers. Mm -hmm. right? They they're so focused on results, they don't really know how to build themselves up and ask for their own like, benefits. And and typically there'll be always that person next to them, a beta that's gonna sit next to them and would try to climb and will build up on what they say in a more uh, coherent way. Mm -hmm. And then the job of the manager is to say, okay, I, I see what's going on here. Thank you. I didn't ask you to add. He, he already told me that. And make sure they separate it. But most managers don't realize that. They'll go for those with a better PowerPoint presentation and all mm -hmm. that stuff. And that, you know, where, where the good ones would write on a piece of napkin because it's all about the, the value of what I'm giving you, not, not the presentation of that. So what you see over here is, I, I guess, the, the, the thing with Elon Musk, he's a polarizing person. Mm -hmm. And as soon as he said, vote for DeSantis, that is going to be vote polarizing. For, vote for Trump. Vote for he. I don't know if he said no. He said no, vote no, no. For sorry, sorry. I, I thought you meant DeSantis. reinstating yeah. Trump on Twitter. No, that is that is uh, obviously pe people would have an opinion about yeah. that, right? But when he went and he said, "I vote Republican this time," okay, that's it. Anything he's going to do is going to be polarizing from this point on. There's not going to be substance to the matter that he's dealing with. But when you look at him, right? CEO of uh, PayPal, CEO of, I mean, the chief technology officer at the time until he hired one for SpaceX, mm -hmm. literally SpaceX, then Tesla. So he's a technology guy. He knows everything about technology. So I feel like the good ones, the real alpha ones, the one that A++, would know who the A++ engineers are. If you're a beta, you don't know. Like you, you just can't see what other people see. So he can come in and say, okay, what are the projects you're working on? Let me see. Okay, cancel this, cancel this. He's big on, on um, you shouldn't optimize a product that shouldn't exist. Yeah. Right? So I bet that he killed half of the projects. Okay, now we don't need so many people. Now let's go. This is what you got to have to focus on. Well, if you look at, so he's polarizing. People love to hate him. But ultimately, somebody asked, somebody DM me today because I posted that, and they're like, "What's your fascination with Elon Musk?" I'm like, "I'm fascinated because he's, I think, probably one or two in terms of richest people in the world documented. He's built a ton of very successful companies, um, and he's basically applying all these startup lessons to Twitter. So he's trying to get cut all the trim all the fat. He's trying. Twitter has the lowest." Uh, revenue per headcount of any social media company. So that's a problem. 100%. So he's trying to introduce recurring revenue. He's trying to increase the revenue per headcount. He's trying to uh, um, ship new products and iterate and, and Twitter blue, $8. He shipped a new product, saw features or functions or bugs or whatever, pulled it back, trying it again. He's like doing what startup founders do, but he's doing it with one of the largest organizations. It's kind of like what he did with SpaceX. He was going to yeah. blow a bunch of missiles in the air until one is going to fly and come back. But nobody cared okay about SpaceX. He was okay with blowing it up. Like if you go to a traditional organization, they'll say, if that missile blew up, I'm going to have to chop some heads off. In his case, like, no, if it didn't blow up, that means we didn't try hard enough. Yeah. But our ambition wasn't. So, yeah, I mean, th some things are going to break, but he's going to fix it. And he did mention that, 
early on. Look, I mean, in Elon, Elon Musk, I think uh, it's kind of like in every generation, you have one person that can carry uh, not just discussions, but the like where people want to go and focus on, right? People wouldn't mention or talk about electric vehicles if it wasn't for him. If if the world is going to be a cleaner place, it's it's much because of him. Now, I, I and it's just one example, right? If you're talking about uh, space exploration, without him going back and down, blowing up missiles and potentially his entire wealth, it, it, you, humanity wouldn't be able to explore in the future what we are doing today because mm-hmm. of him. So even if you don't like him, I, I feel like for that point, everyone has to kind of like has a certain gratitude for that, uh, for the fact that he puts everything on the line like no one else would. Yeah. I mean, and I wouldn't put everything on the line. I have, I have things to think about. I, I was coming for, I'm not going to put everything on the line the way he did when he had 180 million coming out of PayPal and he put it all and then he slept at my, his friend's couch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he really pushes the bar. And, and he sees Twitter as something that is valuable enough to put his time and energy into. I mean, he plays at a bigger level. Jeff Bezos bought Wall Street Journal. Does not play at the level of Twitter. No. no. So He bought it to buy influence with politicians more than anything, right? He, he wasn't doing it to actually, in, in Elon's mind, he was like, look, walk is a problem. We have to kill the walk mentality and just make sure that we have... Uh, free speech. He wasn't going in to go and buy politicians with this. So he was just saying, I'm going to go and buy free speech. So, it's interesting, yeah. but it's, it's obviously a very polarizing topic. Um, I think that I think that with how fast he iterates and tries new things and ships things, I do believe that Twitter will be incredibly successful. Because if you test enough stuff at scale, you'll find out what works. And what I have doesn't. no doubt. I have no doubt. I feel like I feel like what people got to take from this uh, from from your article is that when you run a company, you will have free riders, you will have mediocre people, mm-hmm. you will have people that can articulate themselves and say stories and give you stories why they're so good, but it's going to be a facade and you only figure it out after you let them go. And I said this before and I'll say it again, you know, I was never, reg- I never regret letting go anybody. I only regret not letting them go sooner. Mm-hmm. When you have that hinge, when in doubt, the, the idea is that as higher they are in the organization managerially, less, uh, you need to have less um, chances. Yeah. But if I hire a VP and that VP doesn't perform, zero, zero chances, get out. That's it. You're a VP. If you're a coordinator, I'm going to teach you, we'll, we'll educate, make sure that you understand, we'll, 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 we'll prep you, we'll give you crash course and another one, we'll give you many options until, because it is the beginning. But when, I, when you hire someone all the way in the top, if you find that that person doesn't really understand that, Figure out what it is, obviously, but if, if he doesn't know their own or she doesn't know their own job, and my job is not to manage a VP, right? Just a VP needs to manage a lot of people. And, and I manage themselves. Manage himself. Like, it, this is not, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, and we're going to have to cut it fast. Yeah. Worst when you keep him longer, and, and you feel that mistake later on. So so that's the, that's the idea. And then you'll find yourself with much more effective organization. You'll never be able to succeed 100% because when you have two, three people with you, there's something about the funder that gets the best out of people. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're so efficient. If you have four people, two will do 50%, right? It's perfect. Once you start scaling, you can't manage so many people. And now you start seeing inefficiencies. And then from there on, just understand it happens and then go back to your managers and say, usually the organization, the sub part in the organization falls under the jurisdiction of that manager. And if that manager wasn't good enough, it's on them. 
Like, I don't, like, if, if those two people... I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there, juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, 
drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much, Indeed, for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. People under that manager poorly executed, go back to the manager. Always. Don't go to those two people only. I mean, all right, let them go and do their thing. Let them fire underneath, fix, correct. But if after a while you see that they keep those people, they retain those people, and something doesn't work, it's on the manager. Um, okay. Let's talk about FTX because that's trending right now. Did you ever heard of them? What, what's that? You have, you have money on it or no? <laughs> no. no. But I do have, I have friends that lost the money. Yeah. A lot? Uh, one of my, actually, is one of my partner in uh, one of my investments, a good guy, and I think he lost about four or five hundred thousand. Okay, that's yeah. enough. It's enough, that's enough to, yeah. Um, okay, so what is, where does this leave crypto? Because do you want to, I mean, like, I think everybody who cares about this has probably heard the story, but basically, um, what had happened was FTX is a crypto exchange run by Sam, uh, like like SBF. Bankman. Freed. Freed. Yes. If you actually look at Freed, it spells like fried. 
bank, men, fried, and you go and you invest without men. It's already a big red flag. So he had a U.S.-based operations and he had international-based operations. U.S. is regulated, international wasn't. A lot of people said that was because there was lack of clarity from U.S. regulators on how to operate a business uh, in crypto and DeFi and Web3. Basically, CZ, who's the CEO and founder of Binance, um, another probably the second largest crypto exchange, or largest actually, uh, I'm not sure the volume compared to Coinbase, but they're pretty big. He had basically said something on the lines of like, I don't trust FTX. And that's all it <laughs> And it created a run on the bank, and then FTX was not liquid enough to fulfill the orders, and I think they were short about $8 billion. And then it was like a house of cards that collapsed, and FTX International collapsed, and they couldn't, they, could, they weren't liquid enough. And then obviously now uh, that was a, that like cascaded and the whole crypto markets felt this and uh, i think it's based in bahamas and and sam bankman fried is in the bahamas and now he's being investigated by the bahamian bahamian authorities and it's a whole thing right and now the issue a big issue with this because ftx and sbf sam bankman fried they invested in all these crypto companies they have tons of investments and then now they're going to their they were also like the second largest democratic donor like they put money in a lot of places so now what's happening is you see ftx absolute shit show um they're saying it was fraud sbf is saying that it wasn't fraud but they had all their assets properly documented also there was some shady stuff like he had a hedge fund called alameda research and they were like investing some of the investors money that was supposed to be going to FTX into Alameda Research, which is technically what banks do anyways, like reserve fractional banking mm -hmm. is the same thing that they were doing, but they weren't a bank, which is the bigger issue. Because if a bank, which does invest some of your money, if you put it into a bank, it's not actually yours, they invest it in different assets. If there's a run on the bank, like a, you know, Bank of America or TD or whatever, uh, they have insurance and they can also go to the government for bailouts. And there's like a whole But that wasn't of... the reason they failed, right? They failed because... Well, they were doing reserve fractional banking in crypto, but they weren't a bank. So when there was a run but, on the bank, the, it didn't... It the issue, what I understood, and I'm, I'm not the most technical in this one, what I understood is that when you go uh, long or short and you buy futures against particular coin, the the idea is that there has to be a marginal margin call yes. and then they just allowed it to go too big and play the market and compounded things happen yes. so alameda research was doing some shady stuff with investment with investor funds but the point was ftx was lending out investor funds and then on top of all this, that was on ftx that wasn't on alameda. oh that okay. was on when you go on ftx you can buy futures well they didn't have short stops for well, some reason, that's a, that's a point, right? Yeah. Because you need to have a margin call. If you go to say, um, if you go right now to any organized platform, uh, I don't know, E Trade, right? And I, I want to go and buy options, or yeah. well, in their case, I want to do futures, right? If the, if you have a dollar in the account and you say, well, well, let's just say you go to the S and P five hundred, right? A future contract will cost you twelve thousand. So they take the twelve thousand, and then they say, how much money do you have in the account? Well, let's just say I have. In the account, another another twelve thousand dollar. Okay, so then it you decide if you buy a long or a short. In a short explanation is that if I short the market and the market goes up every point on the S and P, that's fifty bucks. So that means it starts going up while I short the market and I decide to stay on my position because I think it's gonna turn. Eventually, I run out of those the remaining fund. I, I had twelve thousand left. If the bank decides that they can still give me some leverage 
one-time leverage, I have an additional 12,000. If they decide no because of the record of whatever calculation, I said, that's it. You ran out of the $12,000 that you have. Here is a margin call. We're issuing you back the $12,000 that the contract cost you, and you just lost $12,000. This way, it keeps the system. You only play with your money in one-on-one. Mm-hmm. What they've done with FTX was they didn't have that. Oh, I didn't, they didn't know have those management. Okay. Yeah, that was the reason they failed, right? Because there was no regulators. Mm-hmm. If you already go there and you say, well, you know, we are anti-establishment. We don't need any of those regulators to tell us what to do. This is all about uh, decentralization. Well, first of all, you're not decentralized. It's a you're, company. You're you have a, company. a CEO. You're a company. Second, <laughs> you did donate to regulators, right? To the Democratic Party in this case. So you did donate to regulators. But you decided not to be regulated as a private company going into the philosophy of of crypto saying, well, so the point was that if you already go to a company that's like if it's going to be Binance or if it's going to be make sure that it's an organized company. So it's easier when you go to a company that's regulated by the stock exchange, like Coinbase. And you said, okay, they're regulated. It's one on one. They have a transparency with and I'm sure now it's going to be much more Mm -hmm. uh, scrutiny. And it's safe, okay? It's a shitty customer service. You want to kill them. You literally want to kill them. But it's safe. But it's safe, you know? Versus going into a better UI, UX with FTX and the guy that's putting himself out there and then takes away all your money. They're also hacked, too. So this is the whole thing, right? Now they're hacked hacked and they think, like, (laughs) like, are they being hacked? Is it an inside job? And then, like, the the Bahamian authorities are saying that we forced SBF to... It's like a whole... Anyway, the point is, not good. It's yeah. not good. It's been like, I mean, if you're hearing for it first now, that's surprising, to be honest. But um, it's been newsworthy for a bit. But what does this mean for crypto? What do you think it means? I have, I, I don't, you it's know. A, it's a great opportunity for I'm not those bold who enough to, to make a prediction because <laughs> the reason why is because this is huge. This is bigger than Bernie Madoff. This is bigger than Enron. It's not really bigger than Bernie Madoff. That was $50 billion back then. And Enron... Enron was 10 billion, but no, that was but in the about, 90s. What about the, What is 10 billion in the 90s versus 20 billion today? So What about all the other <laughs> I'm giving you a little bit more because oh you're doing good so far. <laughs> I reward you with some tequila. I'll, I'll drink with you some tequila. Um, but what about all the subsidiaries they invested in? Yeah, but all, all combined was 20 billion that they lost, right? I don't so, was that the total? Yeah, I, I, out of all I think the, it was 22 from what I read. Out of all the portfolio. Okay, yeah. so fine. It's yeah. not Bernie It's very off. big, though. It's very big because it affects, I feel, I feel like what it does, it affects the crypto market, and that causes a loss of much more than $20 billion. Ben, Is it bigger, it's bigger than Enron, though? I mean, uh, yes, but it's paper money that it lost, right? In, in Enron, when they lost $10 billion in the 90s, I think it was $10 billion or $8 billion, right? I just remember it that. Was, yeah. It was in the 90s. What was $8 billion back then in the 90s? What was the house going for today? What let me, was gas Let price? me figure it out. So what was Enron? Android. Let me look it up. Was 18 or, or 8? I, something with 8. There was, I want to say I remember 8 over there. Jamie. Jamie. <laughs> no, Enron was 74 billion. What? The Enron scandal drew attention to accounting and corporate fraud as the shareholders lost 74 billion. Oh, well, then. There you have it. Okay. But what were the, what were the Enron? Uh, Bernie Madoff was 50 billion. Yeah, so outstanding. Okay, so never mind. Well, cheers, man. <laughs> cheers for that. Enron is it a- wasn't that bad, guys. Cheers. Ignore what we just said. Okay, so it's not as bad as Enron or Bernie Madoff. But 
first of all, Enron and Bernie Madoff operated for a lot longer than SBF did. Oh, not, that mean, that is correct. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that that guy did some damage. Bernie Madoff showed was, up. But he was uh, he was like boarding like regular like regulator. Oh, yeah. Who was he? He was on the board of. Um... No, he wrote legislations. He yeah. was. <laughs> it's like wild. <laughs> have you watched his movie with uh, De Niro? No, I haven't yet. I oh my god, you it. have to watch it. You should watch Margin Call. Margin Call would make you understand a little bit better. You yeah. have to watch Margin Call. It's on Netflix. I want to say it's on Netflix. It is an amazing movie. It basically talks about exactly what I said. A margin call comes down. It comes due if you're too short on your position. I think I've seen margin call. You've seen it? I think I've seen Margin Call. You need to watch this the is, Big this Short. This is housing and, crisis, right? What's, no, no, no. That is the Big Short. I've seen which Big Short. It's, it's important to watch the Big Short. And when people talk about the housing market today, if it's going to crash or not, I feel like the primes uh, subloans were the reason it happened. Yeah. Where you had derivatives, right? So it's like I buy kind of like uh, I buy a bet that those loans are going to be paid and I'm buying a bet on the person who made the bet on those loans and then mm -hmm. I buy a bet on the so it, it was just uh, the market was so leveraged at the time the market is not as leveraged right now so I know that there are quite a few people what happens to crypto though that's what I mean it's well crypto happened. crypto has its cycle though. crypto had its cycle and it yeah. needed that cycle a big slap in the face I don't think it's going to go anywhere I think it's very naive to think it it will even when I look at Bird AP Yacht Club which I I can relate to it. I'm sorry. I can buy a freaking picture with ten thousand. Okay, so of this those. is the thing about. But, like, this, but then, but then, yeah. but then, still, it's it's still sixty grand. I mean, if you buy floor price for board ape, you know how many people lost millions of dollars when they bought when it was hype and FOMO about a hundred percent. Justin Bieber lost something like uh, like. 2.3 billion and it was so but the question no, is was he selling it for that price was he selling it for 100 and something because why would you even sell it for that price just leave it if you if you lost it just for 175 dollars just leave it yeah. don't touch it I, I don't know i also heard on cases where people mistakenly put it for sale and instead of putting say 1300 uh, ETH, oh, they they'll put 1.3 ETH or point oh, they screwed up. yeah so, so there are mistakes like this look I don't understand why would anybody buy a, okay, so a, a computer-generated image, and there are 10,000 of them, and you would buy it for so much money. So this is the issue with Board at Yacht Club, because they launched the NFT first, and now they're building the product with the money they used from the original sale. And what is the product? It's like community events, meetups. Yeah. So, so they're, taking the, they're, they're taking a project and they're making it into a company, which it's okay, because you have a community around this, and then you make it a company. It's always a case of like, how is that not just raising money? They, they, it's very easy. I'll tell you why. Because the exchange, when you buy board ape, every time there are gas fees, and some of it goes to the founders. So if you have, let's just say, every day, a trade of let's just say two hundred images, and each one in average at the hype was two hundred fifty thousand dollar, and you make two percent of that, but you have thirteen hundred or or two thousand transactions a day, right? That is your that is your revenue that yeah. comes in, and that is why they made it. It now you have that endless money coming in. How can you make people exchange more? That's the entire objective. So okay, let's throw parties. Let's throw stupid money because we get stupid money. It falls off the sky. Yeah, people are buying this, selling that. Just the, all that exchange kept going on, and they needed this to continue. Once that exchange dies, the whole project dies. And, yeah. It's going to be gloom. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if in the future it's going to have its value. I Don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't want to crash that, that theory because right now, and it's hard to say it because right now everybody wants to demonize it. At first, everyone idolizes it. And if you said anything against this, you just don't understand. And don't. I, I don't want to explain to you. Yeah. Right? But now, 
if you try to go and say, wait, in 10 years, perhaps there's going to be some something out of this. And people are going to go and demonize you over there. So it's like there's no in-between where yeah. people say, listen, if it's a couple thousand dollars, I'll buy it. And if it turns something, I'll keep it. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But I mean, if you put it, if, if I go and I put like, say, $10,000 and it turns into 100000 and you didn't take it out, you're a fucking fool. You know what happened you to, um, you know that Dogecoin millionaire? Mm-hmm. Did you hear about this guy? No. He put a couple couple bucks into Dogecoin, uh, like a couple hundred thousand bucks into Dogecoin, Dogecoin. And when this was when Elon was tweeting about it. Yeah. And he became like multi, multi-millionaire. Mm. And he held at the top. And he held and he held. And, he, and now I think he's lost all his money again. But he's a guy, Dogecoin millionaire. The he biggest, on, the biggest on Fox, um, CNN, formula, the formula should be after 10x, sell about half. Another 10x, sell another half. Humans are greedy, that's, though. People that's, are greedy. Well, I mean, you have to have discipline. When you're an investor, I remember um, I, w- I learned a lot from uh, Carp Riley, the investors that came into BoxyCharm at first, and um, we're still really good friends, and I can't tell you how much of a better CEO I became because of them, and I have to give them a shout-out. Definitely, probably uh, the best thing that ever happened to me. I, I became a different person working with them. Mm. I was able to see bigger, and I was able to understand that it's okay to lose a deal uh, uh, you know, there was a phrase I heard before, but with them, it made it, I, I was able to embrace it. Okay. It was, I never made, I never lost money on a deal I didn't make. Now start from there. If I would always think about the money I lost on a deal I didn't make, you're a freaking gambler. The, the philosophy is to say, no, an investor doesn't worry about what he missed in the, what he didn't make. Mm-hmm. An investor should say, the money I dodged that I didn't lose, the deals I dodged that I didn't lose. As long as I keep winning, I am okay. Mm-hmm. This is where it is. I put a dollar, I have a dollar plus, I'm good, I'm positive. Don't worry about what you missed. So when you have some revenue coming in 10x, go cash out your principal plus extra and then sit down again. So let's talk about, okay, smart, smart. Theory, everyone's going to say, yeah, for sure. But you, as an angel investor, um, so far, you haven't cashed out of anyone. Have you? If I have what? As an angel investor, you haven't cashed out. So I made a couple investments. Um, one of them, I mean, they're all a, a little bit long term, and one of them distributed dividend. So it was a dividend play, yeah, okay. one of them, right? Uh, and the other one, uh, in nutshell, it was, uh, it's a company called Drinkpack. Uh, I can't really talk much about this. All it is is that it's extremely profitable. And uh, it's a long, longer term play like uh, like this. When, when you think about about investing, yes, you do want to cash out, but when it makes sense to cash out, right? But have you, so all your all your plays so far um, that you've invested in? Some real estate, some. No, forget real yeah, estate, so, but like, yeah. like the startups, have they all, you're still in all of them? No. Um, did you, or did it was, some it was the, Look, the small ones, you put 25 or 50K. Um, you don't care, like if it it works good. If it doesn't, so you some know, did not. It's cheaper than going on vacation somewhere. <laughs> it's yeah, all yeah, good. yeah. Some some did not. Um, and to be honest with you, there there's some like like anybody else. Like you you invest in certain hypes, right? And you but you have a discipline, like no more than this amount or that amount, right? So if you lost twenty five k, for example, um, was there anything that that person or that founder could have done that would have made you put more in, or was it? I didn't even bother. 
No. I said, listen, no worries. It's all good. It's uh, It was one investment and it was it was actually 15. It was just no worries. Like she had to shut it down. It didn't work. I mean, the whole NFT market collapsed. She wanted to create some application for NFTs and, and the idea was good. She's highly connected with a lot of people. So I thought maybe. But did if I had to choose how, what what is the odds for that to make it, I gave it 10%. Mm. I knew what I'm getting myself into. I said, no, 10%, but fine, I'll give her the 50. And if it does, it's going to be good. It came in early, so I said, no problem. But but that's where are you, you put that her, type of money. Are you going to get her to pay you back? No, because because it's it it was it was it wasn't a personal guarantee, mm-hmm. and I feel like it, it's fine. Like I, I know she wasn't coming and taking the money to go and party in, in Disneyland or something. It wasn't that. She was working. She was trying. So in in my case, it was different. Like the other investments that were more, you put a couple millions. Those did very well, and that, that's the that's yeah. the one I cared about. And those are the ones that uh, in year one, I think we grossed like eighty million dollar. Year one, yeah, but that's wild. That's not normal. No, that's not normal. That's yeah. not, but again, there was only one investment. That how I did made. you? Okay, so let's do. Okay, let's teach over a little bit. So, um, how do you how do you look at an, like an angel investment? Like, how did you scope that one out? What were the things you look for? Was it the founder? Was it the idea? Was it the TAM? Like, what did you look for? Definitely, the founder has to make sense. It has to make sense. Also, what is what, the size what made of the... what made the guy girl? I don't know. Um, so great. So in this case. The the girl was uh, highly connected, and the the thing is, here's where it comes it for me at least. Okay, and I'm not a professional investor, so I kind of like say, well, how how much is it? Twenty five or fifty? Oh. The due diligence is going to be much less than half a million or more. So I made one investment that was a little bit less than a million, and then another one that was a million plus. Right. So, so those ones were different. Right. One of them I was I was not the lead investor. There was an organized. Uh, investment group that went and did the entire due diligence and the friends are like if you want come in with us on the same terms i said okay they did all the due diligence they're organized their success rate is 90 something percent said makes sense that's the one i mentioned so that was a different story and and it's a lot easier for me because i'm not experiencing anyway it's a lot of work too a lot of work the other one uh that was a little a couple hundred thousands it was dividend and you start looking at their balance sheet, you do some due diligence and you said, well, I wanted to actually put more. So what I said was, well, I'll put half first. Mm-hmm. I see how it does. I'll give it a year. Just give me an option to invest the same amount of money in a year from now. And then if it does good, I'll put more money. And even if it does good, I might not invest more money because I might find other deals. But you can but you I reserve the option. Myself. Yeah, I can reserve the option. So I did that. And um, and the company is cool. Like they, they have a good. It's a good potential. It's been quite a few years. It's a good business. And and then the small one. It was it was too small. And you know, a couple of friends came in. And like let's try. And that's it. I, I figure you know it's. It's probably one or two vaca- like a vacation in Mykonos or something, which I don't care to go again. So let's put it over there instead. And maybe yeah. something's going to happen. If not, I'll write it as a loss. No, very good. Um, all right. What do we do? Well, I we have a couple of questions for you, senor. Yes. I didn't really. I asked. I, 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 I have a question. You. Yeah, go. Go. I, I'm trying to think. I think I got through most of mine. Let me find one. Okay. What did I write down? I want to make sure that I actually got through mine. Um, oh, where the hell did I write them? Okay. So let me go and ask you this one. Okay. You ready? Yes. Go. So you moved to Miami with Jenna. And by the way, she's also my lover. But I got to ask the question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit less serious. If you had a chance to be single coming down to Miami, knowing Miami that you know now, would you come single or would you come in kind of like half engaged already? Half engaged. Yeah. So obviously, um, 
I would never choose to ever, ever be single again because I really do love Gina. But I think that if I was single, I'd rather be single in Miami than single in Toronto. Oh, that's a smart answer. So Miami is definitely a, a single person it's city. It's a single person yeah. city. But do you think it's a problem to stay married in Miami? I mean, I know a lot of people that have issues with their relationships already. So I can't imagine that being in Miami in a tough relationship is a good idea. I think that maybe if you if you isolate yourself in the middle of nowhere with your yeah. with your spouse, that's all there is. That's yeah. all there is. Yeah. So I think that I think that you know um, if you, if you have a good relationship, it doesn't matter. But I think that if you probably look at divorce rates in Miami, they're probably higher than the national you know, average. You know, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. Well, I think there's actually stats on like cheating I'm in sure. Miami and stuff. Like, no, they don't do that in Miami. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, you know. So after I broke up with my wife, and again, God bless her, she's amazing. I kept the ring for a while. Now, first there was COVID, so you couldn't go anywhere. But then when they opened it up, I kept the ring for a while. And honestly, I kept it because it was just hard for me mentally to take it out. Then I learned that it's actually a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Because it doesn't stop a girl from talking to you in a bar. I actually think it it would probably increase the chances of a girl. Let's just say it's the same odds, right? Because I I couldn't find a girl to say, hey, you're married. What is that? No. And if she would, I would say, no, no, I'm not married. But, But point is, I kept it because I figured, you know... I'm not into a relationship right away. I want to stay single. So I kept the ring and I figured they're not going to bother me. I just play. I'm, she's not asking. I'm not lying. I would have told them I'm separated. And if they asked me, why do you keep the ring? Some of them did. I said, I should take it off, but I'm, I'm separated. Here's my apartment, all that. But most of them don't ask. And then they don't bother you because they think you're married. And you just call them when you want to call them. So I know it sounds bad, but I'm just being honest well, over because here. Because Miami's, Miami's a party city. Yeah. So I think everybody's coming here to like get away from something, yeah. especially if you go on vacation. You're you're get you're coming here to get away from something. So yeah. if you if you're trying to get away from something, obviously people want connection, but a lot of people don't want connection. Yeah, a lot of people want one like just one night. That's hundred percent. Yeah, and that that think about it. If you're if you're trying to go after a guy, and and the guy's receptive to you, and the guy's wearing a wedding ring. <laughs> Then you got one night, yeah, and that's it. That's and it. And you don't got some guy blowing up yeah. your phone for like the next two weeks. But, but that's in case of tourism. I'm talking about locals, right? Because the, yeah. the bars I go to, it's locals, and they still didn't care. But that's okay. So that's about you and Gina, okay? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I kind of kind of wanted to ask you something about that. If you had to bring into a podcast a guest host, co-host. Mm. Uh, once a while to bring in, kind of like when you see Diamond Joan and yeah, Bar- yeah. Barbara Corkin. Yeah, 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 once yeah. a while they're there, once a while they're not there. It's a rotation over there. Hmm. We need we need a woman. Boom. What yeah. did I write over here? What did you write? On the bottom? I'll add a woman. <laughs> yeah, another perspective. No, we need a woman. There's too much bro energy here. Yes, 100%. But I don't know who. But well, sure. I have I have some, some options. Yeah. Um, some really cool chicks that are just smart you know why um, because you know that podcast we did with uh uh, uh nas daily and dear eileen yeah. like i really liked that energy and she was awesome she oh, was like she was is, go- and she was like grilling star. me and she was like pushing back and i actually appreciated that and like actually i was talking to gina about that podcast because that's <laughs> i've done like a lot of podcasts and she doesn't listen to all the podcasts but that one in particular she did listen to and she's like having a woman's perspective on the show added why don't we bring gina and patty my ex and yeah, other people that we know, like they're, they're, they'll be giving perspective. They love it. Being alongside guys like us, like they'd, annoying they'd absolutely guys love like it. us. Yeah. yeah. That'll be awesome. But I think that perspective, because it's like, it's like they think of things that 
well, you said this before, you said this a few times, even running a business, the most important asset you had in running a business was, was your wife yeah. because she looks at things differently. It's not just in your business, it's in life. So to have like a complete 360 degree view of any topic, you need to have all these different opinions. The mistake where people say, well, there's always a, a woman behind a successful man. They, they're, they're thinking, well, she's going to fold his clothes. And no, 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 it's not no, about that. Not at all. It's much more than that. She sees things that men don't see and men see things they don't see. So men, it has to be a Men have a lot of blind spots. Yeah, and they have a lot of spot. ego. Yeah, they cover our six. Yeah. 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 The, I remember Patty was looking at, uh, I brought in at first uh, some guys. Uh, to box each other, and I told her, oh, they're great. And, and she didn't like them from the get-go. <laughs> she told me they're not good. And working with them later on, she was right about everything. Yeah. Every, everything she in the first look, she already didn't like them. She told me everything, why. And she said, they want your life. They want. And it, she was right. Just I couldn't see it. Yeah. Right. So, and that was one out of many. So women can definitely get another perspective. So we're going to have to bring some women over here. Um. I actually wrote down questions, but then my notepad got deleted. What? I don't. I don't. <laughs> I didn't save the notepad. You don't remember what you write? I no, I do. I, so I was asking about investing and like risk tolerance. Um, I was asking about like after your company, like are you bored? Like, you know. You like, know what? If I'm if I'm bored, I found myself bored at first in around June. No, around August 2021, yeah. and that's when I decided to build stuff. Yeah. So we got obviously I get a couple of projects and business wise. And we're doing we went, this. So. Yeah, and we're doing this. So so said so the projects, you know, you start working in dark until it works and you have a proof of concept and then you go and you brag to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> well that, right? <laughs> then you lose your humbleness. But uh but first you have to works. make it work, right? Before so you don't um but I had to build something. I remember, you know, I get this call in twenty eighteen and I think I told you the story where uh, I got twenty eighteen or twenty seventeen. Chronologically, I don't remember. No, before that, fuck that. 2014. Okay. <laughs> 2014, right? I get this call and uh, they're telling me, look, we're from the Knight Foundation. We work with Endeavor. We found that you're one of the promising entrepreneurs of Miami. Like me? At that time, I had just the liquidation business. It was doing about 10 million in sales, but that's not a business in Miami that's going to say. Maxi was so young, it, it mm -hmm. wasn't even a thing to mention. So they invited me to a roundtable meeting. I was sitting over there. Some people were heavy hitters, but some were like me, got lucky to even be in that situation. We were sitting on a 50-something floor overlooking the bay, and I remember I was looking at, uh, at the intern dressed with a three-piece suit, amazing place. Everyone just dressed beautiful, and I was just there coming from Hialeah and uh, kind of like a, a cheapest part in town to get like the cheapest square foot in town. And, and I remember I saw one of the ladies that was there and she, she had her exit when she was 23, selling something to IBM. And then she said, I decided not to do anything. So after a couple of years, I got bored. I built another business. I sold it to, I think, Walmart, something crazy like that. And now I'm doing another thing. And at that time, she's, I want to say she's like 50, 60, kind of hard to tell. She had her mess bag. She had the driver rolls. All that, right? And I said to myself, look at this. I have a business. Yeah, I make some money, but this is nothing. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking too small. Look at look at what people they have. The intern has a better lifestyle than myself. Working over here. I need to get something else. I got to double down on, on the box. I got to make sure that if I have an office, this is where I want to be. Mm -hmm. I want to dress with, I want to be dressed to impress every fucking day because every day is a special day. It doesn't have to be a wedding or something. I don't want to be one of those 50, 60-year-olds that run a liquidation business that has 
warehouses somewhere and that's all their life in the shittiest part of it. I don't want that. Let's go and ch- let's change it up. And this is where I say you, you have to change it up. You have to see something else to get perspective of what else is out there. And it's not all about the money. And that really transformed me. I went back and I, I doubled down on the box. I said, that's it. Okay, here's a tough question. After you exited, um, do you feel like when you're not working, because you're not, you're working on projects, but you're not. I don't have a job. Uh, do you myself. feel like you're not as sharp as when you were on every day? <sighs> Different, right? Um, it depends. When you have your aha uh-huh and you sit on something, then you dive into it deep, deep, deep. Right? But do you have to like, so do you like do anything? Because I, I, I found this. That's why I asked. Because when I take a break from working as hard or Sam more comfortable in a job. I don't like this feeling, but I feel like even like when I'm having a conversation, like things don't like come as fast. I feel like if I'm doing and solving problems every single day, like my brain is just always firing and sharp and with it and on it. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. But I'm curious, like if you felt like... it's It's a good question because look, if I had to sit down right now and take myself back into the time where I built my first website yeah, and I had to figure out SEO and I had to figure out everything, right? I was laser focused on a couple of things. I, I was focused on marketing, so focused that you couldn't get me away from that. So I wasn't the best in, say, buying the right merchandise and all that because I understood that the, the most important part is the marketing. Then I can optimize everything else, mm-hmm. right? So there's parts into it. I feel like I haven't changed when I ran Boxy up until then, and the money doesn't really make a difference because you have the pride and you have your ego and your, your the image of your business is, is some it's reflected on you. Mm-hmm. So eventually, once you have a business and you have a proof of concept, that's when you know exactly where to drive. So say right now we're just driving north. We know it's somewhere north, but then we found the highway that it's free instead of paved roads from here and there with the campus, like here's the Northern Highway, boom. Yeah. Then you're so focused on that drive, right? So once you get the aha and you know that this is what you double down, double down on, that's when you're gonna go back to be the scrappy, mm-hmm. if that's what you mean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you need that, you need that part because I can't be scrappy right now and, and build something that might not need to be existing. So I, you, first need I need proof of, you need that North Star. You need a North Star to like drive you and get yes, it. Yeah. Yes. So then, so I have right now two, three projects, right? And then once you find one, but this is a leisure, right? This is literally a leisure. I'm not looking to go and make this uh, a billion dollar business because it's it's a leisure for me. But, and for you to do some money behind this and all that, but it's it's cool. It's, yeah. it's a cool thing, right? It's very different. Once you go and you build yourself a business, let's just say I decide to smell, sell smoke detectors and you have amazing market, smoke detectors. Once you find the proof of concept and you say, hey, here's that company. They're doing 700 million a year and they're not even that good. Look at this. They're only distributing through. They don't have any online presence and we can go and do it better. And you start selling and you start growing and you find out that it's better and you find those channels from your past life that were already too competitive for the beauty industry. But now for smoke detector industry, you have no competition. So you feel like this is awesome. Let's go. You feel like you're you're going into. I always like to give this. It's a bad analogy, but it's it's right for that. It's like you're coming into a, a new continent that was discovered with AR, and everyone else over the old indigenous people have bows and arrows. Okay, I'm running this place now, right? Eventually, they get ARs. They they they, they can compete with this. Yeah. Okay, now let's go to another continent. I'm not competing with them. On, so that's what you're doing. It's like okay, this is it. Here is my new one, right? So I have a couple of them. I was looking for categories that are not competitive online 
And it's hard. Everything is competitive online. What are you going to find that's not competitive yeah, right. online? What right. are you going to do? You, you have the Logan brothers. You have the Logan Paul brother. And, and you have The Rock. You have, you have to find something that no one was touching it, but yet the market cap is big enough mm-hmm. that you can still enter. And then the cost of goods makes sense to sell it online because not everything sells online because not everything has a profit. So you have to find something and say, does the cost of goods make sense to even sell it online? And then if I enter this, I have to grow fast enough before some celebrity is going to go and try to copy me and build community behind this and then eventually make sure that it's going to be too big to fail. So this is where I go. And once you find it, you double down on that. So the reason why I ask this is because even I feel that feeling, that feeling of excitement and, and conquering something and figuring it out. I feel like that's the excitement that gets entrepreneurs sort of up in the morning. But in all seriousness, the reason why I started this podcast is because every time I have a conversation with somebody who's an expert in a different field or a different domain, I have to find a way to keep up with them. And I think it's like the ability to keep up with somebody that keeps you sharp. What and do you mean? So if you interview a person? If I interview a person, I'm, under, I'm trying to understand everything they've learned over their entire lifetime, kind of like I'm going into a new company and trying to understand a new market, a new product for the first yeah. time. It's like, it's this rush and it's just... it. it you have to... You need to give them a lot of alcohol to really tell you the important parts. But you have to... Yeah, you 100% yeah. because people are all shy on camera. Yeah. But you got to go and you got to be like operating at 150%. 100%. And yeah. that's, why I, that's why I love this. That's why I love this yeah. because it's just... You're forcing smart conversations and smart interactions on you. And I think that the better way you build that into your life, if it's just like listening to podcasts or reading books or whatever, or actually hosting a podcast, talking to awesome people, I think that that keeps you sharp and it keeps you yeah, like, yeah. at the top of your game. It keeps you sharp doing this, right? This is this is definitely the first it's thing. The we first thing you mentioned, you said, I want conversations with people to make me smarter. Yeah, yeah. You, you want to be, you want to come out smarter after that conversation because the idea was that when 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 you go and you say what what if, what kind of like separates successful people and not successful people is when they sit down and talk yeah. the successful people when they talk to their friends they talk ideas and opportunities yeah. the ones that are not they'll talk about everything that's unimportant right and they're going to go to sleep thinking about what's unimportant i don't know video games whatever it is right so you say to yourself well i'm going to go and give you those conversations over here right and there are plenty of those there are plenty of podcasts plenty of this but you'll never know where is that one little piece that you needed to hear to change you yeah right i had i had maybe four events in my life that really spiked my business because of something i heard from someone but you can now and those i can are actually ingrain in your head 100 those those sentences you heard yeah. how wild is that crazy you you feel uh, the first time was when i get the list of all the suppliers for the liquidation and i ask them all right, so I got all those suppliers, awesome. But first, how do I buy the goods? I mean, I don't have money to buy truckloads from Macy's, from older, in, older access inventory. They said, well, you don't need to. You get the list, and then you show the list to a buyer, and then you buy it for them, and you put some, you mark it up. How do I get the buyer? Oh, they call it search engine optimization. So it's like, okay, how do I get the buyer? I have, I have the goods. Now, how do I get the buyer? Now, okay, now I know how to get the buyer, and I have the goods. Okay, let's start. That moment was was a surreal moment where I knew that this is it. My life changed. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all I needed to know. Say no more. I'll figure it out. SEO, you said? Okay. Those are the words to go. Okay. You know what it was for me? In not my last company, much earlier on, I was, I was um, managing and heading up sales uh, in a company that was acquired by a private equity firm. 
And I never thought of startup. I never thought of exit events. I never thought of acquisition in my life. My, my, my family, they're all in government and they're all, mm-hmm. they've all worked non-startup private jobs, right? Even the people that in my family that have worked in private, they've worked in like Fortune 1000. Yeah. So the, the word startup never really, no one has a conversation about startups or entrepreneurship. And when that company was acquired, I'm like, shit. I know how to I know how to get to where I want to be. So I'm going to double down and work in startup land. And that was like the beginning mm. of everything. It was working as a consultant with startups. It was doubling down as CRO of a startup. It was going through an exit event. It was working with my current company to start. It was, and and when you start working in startups, then you start learning all the skills that allow you to build something yourself. So working with all those startups and working from a ground level gave me the tools and the skills that allowed me to build a podcast successfully, allowed me to do everything successfully. So that particular event because up until that point how many people were in those in the in the first startup 50 in the second one uh 20 20 yeah yeah that's that so you work with the ceo yeah. all the time then yeah. you get to be around an entrepreneur and then you become them yeah right that's that's the that's the idea so so yeah. it, that was it that was i was like this is how because before that career growth seemed very linear uh-huh. it's like you get a job and you move up and you move up and you move up and i was damn good at my jobs too but it was never leverageable there was never a, huh. a point where I could leverage my time for more than my salary. And then all of a sudden the equity conversation comes into play and all this, like now there's leverage everywhere. Everything I do, I look for leverage. I look for how, how did to... you think about leverage suddenly uh, uh, equity in a company? Because unless, unless you see some friends getting that. And... Because I saw the founder sell the company. Yeah. 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 I saw the founder sell the company for just under nine figures. Yeah. And I saw that the fact that he had worked for something for 10 years and he cashed out. Yeah. Yeah. Like the change for me was on 20. And I'm like, shit, I should have been part of this. Listen, look, everyone needs that transformation in their life. And if they don't, that's fine. As long as they're happy, it's not for everyone. This is a tough route that you take because there's a lot of many uncertainties. You have to find the what. The what is probably the biggest challenge. What is the next idea? And then the execution, especially after you did this the first time, it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just very challenging, especially when you get the first one. To get the second one, it's already... It's a, like, is it really luck? Maybe no, not. I like, don't think so. How do you know that it's going to work? How do you know to double down? Well, I kind of tried a couple things for the second one. Not that many, but really quickly I knew what is a winner and what's a loser. Because so the loser, have, I killed them you fast. You have this library of experience. So you already know the 99 things that won't work. Yeah. So you're like, okay, let's try. I, 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 know, I know the best practices in ops and sales and marketing and HR. And fi- I know all the best so far. I mean, I have my experience. So let me just try and optimize every little bit. What's the difference between reading a book about this or listening to a podcast about this versus actually doing it? I think the difference is that, you know, if, if I've been in, in a particular uh, area, actually been there, spoke mm-hmm. to people versus reading about this, it's a big difference, right? Mm-hmm. Just, what, what do you want to do? Do you want to actually play? Uh, there, is a, a part, there is a movie with Kevin Costner when he was... Um, it was teaching he had to go and teach uh he had to instruct a team of soldiers how to extract people from uh, drowning in alaska i forgot the name of the movie and uh ask jamie he's gonna find the movie the name so then the the point with him it was kind of like a hero he was the one that saved more people than anybody else it's kind of yeah. like a helicopter people go fishing in alaska very dangerous they he jumps in and i remember he was kind of like the unorthodox teacher when the the army brought him over the coast guard and 
there was a point over there where you see those generals coming into his room because they had enough with this this off, off the box type of teacher yeah. that goes over there and teaches. Them. Yeah. So they go and all the soldiers are in the pool like this, and then they're coming to me like, "What are you doing? You have to go be in the class with them and talk to them about hypothermia." So he goes and he was t- telling me like, "In about 32 seconds, they're all gonna have hypothermia." So he literally said, oh, you want to know about hypothermia? Forget the book, throw it away. Let's go to this yeah. ice cold water. Stay with me. We're all going to get through the experience together. So you'll know what hypothermia is, right? Yeah. This is what you get when you actually get to do the job, exactly. right? This is what happened when you get to do the job. So trying something and failing is part of your process. Don't read about this. Don't keep getting models. Will it work? No, fuck the models. You need to try. The model is going to, the probability the model is right is so low. Go and do it. Yeah. Try. Just make sure you fail very fast. Because if you fail slow, yeah, well, it you're just, not It's be... just more expensive. Very more expensive. And you'll never make it in life. You, you have to move fast. So so to go and get the second part, it's like, I feel like the, the situation is after you go and you take an entrepreneur and you strip him away from everything he had. He said, okay, no more money for you. What do you do now? Okay. It's going to be harder because I have less, but I have what's in my head. But what I've, I've been through those roads, it's a lot easier. What happens is when you do have a business, and this is where, where it's easier to start another business when you have a business, mm-hmm. is that you have a platform. What is the worst thing that you want to do when you start a business? Well, I have to hire a couple people, two or three people, for example. To get, one is a secretary, bookkeeper, for example, or not even. I can do it myself. No, actually, I need one. Okay, fine. Plus another person to do X, Y, Z. And I need a place. And So now you have to invest some money to a maybe. And a lot of people don't want to do it because you're saying, ah, you know what? I don't know. Let me go and check before. Let me start in my garage again and all that. But if you have no infrastructure, you're weeding out quite a few options of what you're going to try because you. But once you have a business, it's a lot easier to start a second business on top of the other business because you have already office space, at least for me, warehouse, office, employees. Can you guys build boxes over here? We're going to allocate those those pallet trucks only for boxy chum merchandise. And let's take that place to assemble the boxes. And once you start seeing a proof of concept, okay. So I didn't have to go and hire people for that. It was so easy, right? So what I'm trying to do now is I said, well, I'll start a business that's going to be doing good, lifestyle business. But what I'm going to have is an infrastructure. Is that going to be the next big thing? Maybe. Is that for sure? No. But it's going to be the platform I needed to make the next big thing. And that's also why a lot of the brands that you know today did not start out as the brands that you know. They started out as one thing, and they tried it out, and they tested it out. And like household names. I could Jamie can pull examples too. But there's household names of companies that you'd know that are known for one product that started very differently. That's true. Yeah, you deviate, right? You you zigzag. No one will fail if they just try and learn and learn from their mistakes for like 10 plus years. Yes. It's impossible to fail. And people always think, what are the chance, what are the rates of entrepreneurs failing? It's not 90%. It's only 90% because people give up after two, three years. Mm. So if you have a job or you have cash flow from another business, if you keep trying and iterating and trying and learning and trying... You will build well, something. I mean, there, there, is, there is also a dark side in entrepreneurship. I'll give you an example. Um, I've seen on Shark Tank a guy that, I mean, I like this guy because he was ex-army and he came down and he ended up talking about how he served and all that. And, and then he came up with an idea and he needed to build this. It was like a big device the size of a refrigerator that you can put in a doctor's office and there's a bunch of screens on it and you can play a game or something like that. And he said each one cost, I don't know, 20 grand. 
and he needs some money and he already mortgaged his house twice and that's uh, not smart that's exactly not smart. exactly so, <laughs> so you, you also have to have intelligent options when yes. you go into and i remember where they got when he left they were trying to convince him to not not invest anymore and he said no i'm, I'm not going to give up and if that means i have to get another loan i'll do it and they're like please don't do it and he left and you you see all the sharks like no and then um, and kevin o'leary said something smart he said this is the, the dark side of, of entrepreneurship. So there is that. And I think it's important to hear this in this show. I say, listen, guys, don't put your life saving, your kids saving. You can do things like this when you're young, when you have no liability, yeah. when you don't have dependence. Don't do it when you have dependence. That's, that's why you want to try when you're young. Yeah. You don't want, you, you definitely but can there's continue also ways when you try. There's also ways there's to also try. There's also ways to try. Be without smart. the spend. 100%. So when I say you try something for 10 years, I don't mean you spend. Two million, three million, five million dollars trying over the course of ten years. There's going to be some capital required, but you have to be smart too. And like, when do you listen to people and when you don't? Right? It's very, it's a challenging thing, right? When people tell you it's not going to work, but you still come out from the other side and say, "Look, it worked." And this is what you see a lot on social media. People brag about this, but yeah. sometimes you should listen to people. In that case, they told them, "Listen, no one's going to be using it. They're going to using their iPhone." So you, you iterate. And, and it's, yeah. how do you know? Like, there is, it's just the way people are wired, and you cannot teach at all. No, but Some people are going to fail and if die. If you're not learning, then that's, that's part of the formula for success. So if you don't take feedback and you don't improve and you don't change things and you don't pivot and you don't do all these buzzwords, which are real, then that's where you fail. Yeah, I, no, I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. I just think that it's really not for everybody. Yeah, the the, the bottom mean, yes. line is it's not yeah. for everybody. And, and sometimes the, there will be casualties. Yes. There will be some dead people along the way. And that's why the risk reward is a big it's a big thing. It's just the reason we're compensated like this because we assume the risk. Yeah. So. All right. That, that was, was good. Awesome, dude. That was awesome. Okay. We'll do more of these. Awesome. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary.
I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, 
the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 